Let me read from verse 10 to give us the context again. Starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come as your children, your church, your bride. We come as those who have been redeemed by the blood of your Son, Jesus. We come as the ones who you foreknew before the world was created and chose before the foundations of the world. We come as adopted children with an inheritance, sealed for the day of glory, Lord, let these truths sink deep into our hearts that we may know them. That we would have assurance of our salvation in the midst of these evil days when the devil schemes and plans to disrupt our faith and cause us to doubt and be discouraged. Lord, as we think about spiritual warfare and as we have for the last few weeks, arm us, Lord. Arm us with prayer, that it would give power to the, to the rest of the armour that you have given us. Let there be a discipline in our life, in our daily life, of seeking your presence, of seeking your counsel, and of praying for strength for us and all the saints. Lord, Lord, would your name be glorified? Would your saints be equipped? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we were to summarize the last few weeks, we could summarize it in these three words. Life is war. 
Life is war for the Christian and for the non-believer, for they have handed themselves over willingly and unwillingly to the enemy's grip, the enemy being the devil. But brothers and sisters, we are free from the grip of the, the enemy. We have, de- well, Christ has defeated him through the death and the resurrection. We cannot lose our hope. We cannot be snatched from the Father's hands. We cannot snatch ourselves from the Father's hand, nor can anyone else snatch us from his hand. But the enemy can cause us to live a most unhappy life. The enemy can cause us to grieve the Spirit, or at least tempt us into grieving the Spirit. The enemy can lead us down a path of doubt and unbelief and discouragement, can get us thinking about our sins and our inability to overcome them, can get us doubting the truth of the Scripture, can get us conforming to the patterns of the world, desiring things of this world, or crippled by the cares of this world. We have a daily need and a daily reality of being active in the fight. And pretty much at this given moment and tomorrow and the next day, in any moment, you are either actively fighting or being overcome. You are actively fighting or giving in to the devil's temptations and lies. There is no place for idleness in this war. There's no place for simply kicking back and relaxing and not battling. In those moments, the devil is winning. But although this battle is hard, there is sweet joy in the midst of it. We are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, the scripture says. And ultimately, we will rest in heaven. So in the midst of this war, although it's tiresome, although the Christian is in the midst of a lifelong battle, we get to have joy and rejoice in Christ and rejoice with one another in the midst of it, knowing that our ultimate rest is coming and it will finally come when Christ returns or we breathe our last. But to that end, the Christian day will be more tiring than the non-believer. I believe that as you go about your normal life, you don't just parent children and go to work, but you also face the spiritual attacks of the devil. So when the Christian comes home, they are not only physically and emotionally exhausted, but they're also spiritually exhausted. Because the day is meant that they have had to be aware of the lies and the temptations of the devil and not give in to workplace gossip or neighbourhood gossip. To be slow to anger and quick to listen. To always be showing kindness. To be controlling their lustful eyes. And turning from envy and jealousy and controlling the tongue that can set fires in our neighbourhood or workplace. Church, this is hard work. It's no wonder the Christian would come home in some ways exhausted, trying to have the mental capacity to do their work or the physical capacity to do their work, while all the while praying against the schemes of the devils, the devil. 
And the temptation in which He allures us and, and entices us to act like the world and be like the world. How do we endure? How do we stand to the end as this passage calls us to? I would say by remembering this verse, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How is this verse helpful? Because it reminds us of our daily need, the daily realisation that we are utterly destitute in the spiritual realm. And in order for us to come to Christ initially, we had to be poor in spirit. And in order for us to continue with Christ, we must remain poor in spirit. It is the acknowledgement that our real spiritual resources are lacking. We are completely dependent on God for all spiritual things. The poor in spirit is the one who spiritually knows they need Christ's power every moment of every day. Day by day isn't enough. It's moment by moment. This is our state. This is our current state of being poor in spirit. And the most obvious outworking or the most obvious outworking of our poor in spirit state is prayer. And that is how the spiritual battle is summed up in prayer. It binds all these pieces of the armour of God together and gives power to each one of them. Verse 8. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's important to remember where this passage is in, in Scripture. That's why we read from verse 10. Because often, when we're talking about prayer, we will quote this passage. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And we quote a number of other passages. Pray without ceasing. Pray consistently when we're talking about prayer. But this passage is talking about warfare. So although it does say pray at all times, and that is a great passage to throw around or a great verse to pass off to a brother or sister in need, let us remember that the reason Paul is writing it is to give us power in the midst of our daily battle against the schemes of the devil. So when we come to this passage, we are anchoring prayer in the midst of the armour of God. We're remembering truth, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. And we're binding them together with prayer. Now prayer binds our heart to God's will. And of course, when we look at the list of those things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, God's will is for us to know truth about Him, the truth of our salvation, the righteousness that's in Christ, the attributes of God, and the gospel that brings peace. So without prayer, these things lack power. Prayer is what helps the belt of truth, the doctrine about God, sink deep into our heart. Prayer is what makes the righteousness of Christ go into our motives and actions. The gospel of peace upon our lips. The assurance of our salvation to our minds and the character of God to our defence. This is what prayer does. It makes these realities of the armour of God real to us and powerful to us. We can 
sit there and quote truth all day long, but will we pray that they sink deep into our heart and mind, that we believe them with all that we are? As an early church father wrote, He has armed us with all security. What then is necessary after that? To call upon the King, that He may stretch forth His hand. He's given us everything we need. Now let us call upon His name and He bring His power upon these truths in our lives. Prayer is for the poor in spirit, calling to the one who is strong, who has dominion over the spiritual world, who created the invisible and the visible. God has unlimited power at his disposal and he distributes it, loves to distribute it through answering prayer. Now the greatest outworking of our pride is prayerlessness, is it not? Prayerlessness is an obvious boast against Christ. It's a boast against Christ because it says, I don't need you, I've got this. When we go into our day and start the day lacking in prayer, we are claiming that we can get through this day without Christ. Our workplace, we are skilled, we're intelligent, we've got the practical uh, ability to do the job, yet we forget about the spiritual reality and forget about the battle that wages on in our minds and our hearts and in the spiritual realm. So our church would be Repent of our prayerlessness and by God's grace, and only by His grace, learn the discipline and art of prayer. Coming like the disciples to Jesus with all humility, saying, Teacher, teach us to pray. We must not assume that prayer is straightforward or simple. Prayer can be at times one of the hardest things we do because Satan's first attack will be to take away your prayer life. He will illuminate every other desire in our life. He will tempt us into wanting to enjoy everything else other than prayer and dampen our desire for prayer. Because without prayer, the truths will just be words on a page. God wants us to have a personal relationship with Him. And we can read the Scriptures, but if we want to read the Scriptures supernaturally, we read with prayer as well. Asking God, communing with God, allowing God, uh, calling out to God for help to understand. Oh, Corinthians tells us, how can we understand the mind of God without the Spirit of God? And so often, we open our Bibles with the routine of wanting to read them, yet without calling out and saying, God, open my eyes to see and my ears to hear and my heart to receive what your Word has to say. So what's the counsel for us from this passage? To pray at all times. That is, when you desire to and when you don't. To pray in prosperity and in poverty. To pray when things go well for us and when things are falling apart. And church, we can come with a prayer that simply starts by saying, Father, I don't even want to do this. A lot of the Psalms pretty much open in that form. Father, where are you? Turn your ear to my prayer. Listen to my pleas and my cries. We can come to God confessing that our heart doesn't want to pray because He already knows that. 
And confession is literally saying what He already knows to us and admitting our weakness and saying, God, make your power perfect in the midst of my weakness. Grow my soul to desire to pray and commune with you. As Psalm 16, 11 tells us, it is in the presence of God that there is fullness of joy. Satan will tell us that there's fullness of joy in every other part of the world, every bit of entertainment that you can have, every bit of success that you can chase after. But the fullness of joy comes with a relationship with God. A relationship with God, while ever on this earth, is through prayer and His Word. But we don't need to become obsessed with how we pray and worry and get worry that we're going to frustrate or anger God with our wrong words or stumbling over sentences. Romans 8, 26, 27 encourages us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What an encouragement for us that when we sit there in a moment of taking time out, like Jesus said, go into the closet and pray, go into private and pray, and we don't know what to say, we don't know what to plead with God, in those moments of silence, the Spirit will groan inwardly. And He who searches our heart and minds intercedes for us. The Spirit speaking to the Father on our behalf, knowing what is at the depth, the deep depths of us. He knows more about you than you know of yourself. He knows more of your pain, more of your pride than you even are aware of. So when we pray, although we want to be praying with wisdom and thought, at times, we will simply not have the right words to say. And in those times, we can trust that the Spirit of God prays for us. The best bit of advice I heard once was pray until you want to pray and worship until you want to worship. In those times where we don't desire prayer, we all the more need prayer. And we should sit down or find space in our day and read in the Word, whether we're reading a psalm to God as if it's our prayer, or sitting there in silence, or saying to God, I have no desire, until the Spirit stirs in our heart the desire for God. It can be sometimes a long period of time pleading with God before we feel the weight of whatever it is in our heart, whether it be anger or bitterness or envy or jealousy. Whatever it may be, we feel that weight lifted off us and it falls away. But the command in Scripture is to wait. To wait upon the Lord and He will renew our strength. Psalm 42 is that great passage where David is literally at war with himself and preaching to himself and he's saying, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so downcast? Hope in God. Hope in God. And he calls out to his soul to say, Hope in God in this time. And we can do the same. 
But in waiting, it is painful and it's a stretch. It's not a comfortable waiting for the, on the couch. It's, it's like a, a plank position, as Paul Tripp, I think, said. We're in the position of doing a plank on our all fours, holding it, and feeling the pain and the stretch of muscles as we wait for God to renew our strength. But the promise is in His time, He will. You will fly on wings of eagles. You will soar and not grow faint. It's His promise. So when He says to pray at all times, our counsel is that whether it is, is, is a, whether it is a desire of ours or it is hard to do, we pray no matter what. We have a discipline in our life that sets aside time for prayer. And in this verse, He uses two words for prayer. He says prayer and supplication. In the original, it means general prayers and detailed prayers. Prayer of thoughts as we go about our day. Just as we walk through our daily life and we notice our eyes wandering or our, our hearts growing bitter, we can shoot up general prayers. And then there's times of deliberate, set-aside times where we pray in detail, both of which are part of the Christian Walk and journey. To pray at all times with all prayers. We have all different types of ways we can pray. And to name a few, we could have silent prayer, audible prayer, public prayer, private prayer, both short and long prayers, prayer with fasting, prayer with feasting, prayer with praise, petition, intercession, rebuke. Doctrinal praying, emotional praying, resisting the enemy praying, prayers of thanksgiving, confession, prayers for healing, for help, for courage, and so on. Prayer is not a set order. We don't have a religious routine about it. But when Christ was asked to teach us to pray, He gave us a simple structure of glorifying God and seeking first His will and His way before our physical needs Yet we know that God cares so we can ask for our daily bread and for spiritual strength to forgive. Which carries on to the phrase, pray at all times, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. We see this phrase quite often in the Scriptures and sometimes it can be great to understand exactly what it means. Put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit or pray in the Spirit or walk in the Spirit. Sounds great to do, but what does it actually mean and how do we apply it to our lives? Well, to pray in the Spirit is not a super spiritual prayer like someone speaking in tongues or the one who prays with great doctrinal words uh, over and over again. But praying in the Spirit is praying in line with God's will. Praying in line with God's will. When Jesus was asked by the woman at the well, where should we worship? You say worship at the temple, but we Samaritans worship on the mountain. And he said, one day or soon, a day coming soon, neither on the mountain nor in the temple will you worship, but all people who are mine will worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit and in truth is to worship in a way that aligns with God's will and plan for our life. God's will and plan for our life was to live in His image, to bring glory to His name. So the Christian who is in Christ 
praise according to what they have seen in Scripture. It is a good discipline to learn to pray through what we are reading. As you read passages of Scripture, do we use them to pray? For instance, if we went back to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We could use that for a good hour to pray, or longer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that leads us to worship Him, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What does every spiritual blessing mean? We can sit back and think through in our prayer, God, help me to understand every spiritual blessing. Help me to understand the heavenly places. God, give me insight into these places. Oh Lord, I praise you for these spiritual blessings. And if we kept reading on, it reveals the spiritual blessings. That he chose us in the heavenly places before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Lord, thank you that you chose me. That it was not my might, not my strength, not who I was or how I was going to be created, but because of your choice and only because of your choice. Lord, thank you that you made me holy and blameless. Lord, let me uphold this. Examples of prayers in the Spirit is praying according to the Scripture. Praying with thought, with wisdom, with intelligence or intellect from the Scriptures. And really, it's literally repeating God's Word. It's not us trying to be creative. It's repeating God's Word back to God. What we can be aware of is that when we are praying, or rather when we are not praying in the Spirit, but rather praying in the flesh, our prayers is often turned from spiritual increase to worldly increase. If we went back earlier, and if we remember uh, right back near the start in chapter 1, where Paul prays for the saints, and then in chapter 3 he prays again for the saints, he prays all about their spiritual increase. And when he asks for prayer for himself, he doesn't ask for freedom from prison, but rather that he'll be able to advance the gospel as he ought. Paul's greatest motivation is that we would grow in holiness and blamelessness that we would grow in our ability to glorify God and long all the more for His return. When our prayers start to flow into earthly increase, we've probably stopped praying in the Spirit. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for physical things. We want to pray for healing. God loves to heal in His time. We want to pray for resources because God wants to give us resources. But what's the motivation in our heart? What's the motivation behind our prayers? Is our motivation still to have the ultimate end that we would glorify God by enjoying Him forever? Or has our motivation come for an increase in ourselves? God gives us good things to enjoy in this life, like possessions and wealth and food and all these beautiful gifts that he gives us, but they are that, they are gifts, and they should not be taken as more than just gifts. Gifts. He will take them from us if they hinder us from himself. So when we pray, let our prayers be in the Spirit, according to God's will. <coughs> to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints. Remember the image that we're looking at here. Life is war. So when he says keep alert, he's reminding us of the fact that we are in a war. In our prayer life, keep alert. Be aware when we lacked in prayer, we will go through those seasons, or days, or weeks, however long it is. But there must be a day where you remember when you've gone through the whole day and you feel like you haven't even had short prayers to God. In those times, repent and come to the Lord in prayer again, knowing that there is grace over and over again for our prayerlessness. But he tells us to keep alert, to be aware, just as Jesus, when he was in the garden facing the temptation of, of, of the devil, said to his disciples, keep alert, stay awake. Be aware that the devil is trying to tempt you. So Paul echoes those same, same words. Be watchful and pray. Or stay ready at all times. Like a soldier is ready for combat at any moment. It's that common call of the scriptures to stand firm or a call to persevere and endure. How often we see at the end of a few sentences to patiently endure. Patiently endure. The beauty of the, the Christian faith is that we will reach the end. Hebrews 12 tells us about it. To endure with great patience, just as Christ went to the cross in joy. We should make it our resolve in our life that we would stand firm and endure. Because how easy it is to give up. How easy it is to turn away. How easy it is to walk from this when things get hard. Luke 21, 36 reminds us, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This warlike language is rippled throughout the whole New Testament, preparing the disciples for an uneasy, hard battle in our life. To go about our everyday routine, yet with the temptation of the devil trying to make our life miserable. We will only find joy while we continue to commune with the Lord. The Christian that chases after the world and falls from fighting and gives up fighting will only ever be unhappy. So pray for yourself because you are the most needy person you know. That is my discipline in my prayer life and I want to encourage us with application to have a discipline of prayer in our life. Just like last week our discipline was to study the Word, this week we bind it with prayer. And if we don't have a plan, we will end up not praying. We want a discipline of praying without ceasing. We want a discipline of praying consistently. There are short prayers throughout our life as we go about our daily life, as we judge people, think about people, think evil thoughts. We pray repentance and we ask for strength. As we see people in need or see someone sitting there and want to share the gospel, we ask for the power to do so. But we want that discipline where we commune with God and sit in His presence with the Word open and on our uh, whether it's on your knees, standing up, or walking around, it doesn't matter. The discipline to have long periods in private prayer. 
Now, I would never encourage you to start with an hour, because we know that if we started there, we would end up failing or falling short. But start small. Start five minutes a day. And increase over time as you learn to pray. And, and start with the prayer of, Lord, teach me to pray. And find it in his scriptures, the disciplines of prayer. But my discipline is to pray for the most needy person, myself. From there, those who are closest to me. And walk in, working my way out. I have notes throughout my Bible that remind me to pray for different people. I have the church directory in my Bible to remind me to pray for people. If we don't have a plan, and if we don't have prompts to remind us, our mind is so full of other things, prayer will slip away. Because the devil will illuminate everything else to do. Because the next thing that it says is to pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. To pray for other believers is to take our mind off ourselves for a while. To pray for other believers humbles us as we think about the multitude from Revelation. That phrase, the multitude that no one can count from every tribe, nation and tongue. How humbling it is to sit back and think about how Christians are enduring all around the world. And how small we are in that multitude. If there's a multitude that no one can count, how small are we in that? As we sit back and pray for all the saints, and in our day and age we have access to know what's going on for the saints around the world. Through Acts 29 we're connected to 900 other churches around the world, some in, in horrific situations, under great persecution, others facing the many challenges that we face today through materialism and the cares of this world and the stress of work and family, but others facing persecution from from all sorts of places, whether it be government or other religious institutions turning against the church. We have access to pray for all the saints like never before and to remind ourselves that we aren't all that big in, the, in this world. That we ourselves, our problems, our ministry isn't the hardest thing going on. I don't want to downplay it. Our suffering is real. It genuinely is real. I don't want us to go away thinking, oh, well, it doesn't really matter what I'm going through. Other people are suffering more. I'm saying that when we pray for other saints, it helps us endure through our circumstance. As we pray for other saints, it helps them endure. Because we believe that God is powerful and hears our prayers and can empower them. But it also helps us endure as we remember that we are bound together with a multitude that no one can count. Bound in Christ. Verse 19, Paul reminds us of what it looks like to pray for all the saints by asking for prayer himself. And also for me. The words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In praying for saints, we must not, sorry, we must remember to pray for those who even seem skilled at what they do. Paul was humble enough to admit 
that his intellect and his ability to preach was not enough. So he needed the power of prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit to open his mouth. We could maybe, and it's possible, we probably don't want to read too heavily into this, but assume that maybe he's a little discouraged. He's in chains, in prison, chained to a Roman guard, and he may be a little discouraged that the gospel feels chained. We don't know for certain that's what he's feeling, but all the more we know that Paul was human like us and suffered weakness, and he's crying out for the church, pray also for me. And where is Paul going at this point? He's about to speak to all the powers of the time, to kings, possibly to Caesar, to herald the gospel and make it known to the most powerful people of the age. And he knows that his intellect, his thought, his wisdom is not enough to change, to change the hearts and minds of these leaders. He knows that the only possible way for the gospel to be heard, the mystery of the gospel to be heard in a way that reveals truth and for the Holy Spirit to save them, is for the Holy Spirit to come. He's aware in his theology and understanding of Scripture that God's plan and purpose for the gospel being taken forth is through the mouths of the church. So his discipline is as he thinks through what he knows through the doctrines of Scripture, as he thinks about the truth and all these things, is we need to pray. We need to pray that the church opens their mouth and he starts by praying, asking for prayer for himself. The church is whatever, for whatever reason God's means and way of taking the gospel to the world. So he asks for prayer to open his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And we know that this prayer was answered. Because at the end of Acts you read his story of going from one ruler to the next, heralding the gospel, making it known to all the leaders of the time. And with confidence and boldness he did not hesitate to make known the gospel to anyone that came to him. The prayer for Paul to open his mouth was answered and the mystery of the gospel was made known and eventually leads to the Roman Empire being conquered by Christianity. Isn't that incredible? Prayer has power behind it because we're praying to one who is unlimited in power. We're praying to one who has a plan and a purpose to see the gospel prevail throughout the whole world. So when we come to our prayer life, we want to pray for the gospel to go forth. We want to pray for the gospel to go forth in our cities, in our neighbourhood, in Australia, because we believe that the gospel can conquer. It's conquered nations before, as we see in Rome. And it could conquer Australia if that is God's will. So let us pray for the gospel to go forth and open our mouths in order to see it happen. For Paul wraps this up with, for which I am an ambassador in change, change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul states why we should pray for him. It's because he's an ambassador in change. 
And if we know what an ambassador does, they represent someone. Normally a leader, they represent their king, and they come with the respect the king would have. So if we, were, if we have a, an ambassador come to Australia on behalf of the President in the United States, they come with the respect the President would get. They get treated as if it was him in, him, in, in, in himself. Well, Paul is treated exactly how his king is treated. Chained, bound, whipped, and mocked. And he represents his king, Jesus. Yet Paul didn't say that he was the only ambassador. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, he says that we've all been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we are all ambassadors pleading on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When we read this and see that Paul says, for which I am an ambassador in change, the gospel of mis- the, the mystery of the gospel, I am an ambassador for that. He's also saying that we are as he says in 2 Corinthians. All who are in Christ are ambassadors pleading on Christ's behalf. We go before people speaking forth God's message, be reconciled. Come back to God, repent and believe in Jesus. So often when we hear a message like this on prayer or reading the scriptures or mission, The feelings that go through our minds are probably fear, guilt, or passion. If it's fear and guilt that you feel, I pray that would not be the case. Because we're under grace. We don't need to be motivated by fear and guilt. Because we know that God has called us to depend on His strength and His grace and His power for all things, including the ability to preach the Gospel or the capacity to pray. So when we come, let us come to pray simply. Let us come to have a discipline of short prayers to begin with and grow from that. But let our prayers come with action. Let our prayers come with action. Will we come in prayer and confess our weaknesses, which brings us to a place of action? Acknowledging our fear, our pride, whatever it is that we are kept from opening our mouth in heralding the gospel. But let let it not stay in our living room or our bedroom or in that private place. But let us remember that we are ambassadors who ought to speak the King's message. He knows we are weak. He knows we don't have the capacity, which is why He promised that the Spirit would speak for us on our behalf. It's often that it's not until we step out in faith that we see the power of the Spirit in our lives. We see the power of the Spirit open our mouths in those moments. So would God's grace lead us to pray, and would God's grace lead us to preach, knowing that the results are not on us? But on Jesus. And I plead with you again and invite you to, whenever you feel like it or want to, ask me or Katie or Steph, our women's workers, or anyone else in the church to go forth and preach the gospel with you, to practice evangelism, to door knock, to street preach, to 
sit with your neighbour or your friend and, and give you confidence to herald the message of the gospel. We are a church that wants to take the gospel to the lost and the broken throughout the whole of Newcastle. And without prayer, this won't happen. And without opening our mouth, it won't happen. God's vehicle for the gospel to go forth in Newcastle is the church, the local church. So let us start by praying and let our prayers lead us to action. And let us continue to pray, not just for our church, but for all the saints around the globe, the multitude that no one can count, that we may see the gospel prevail in this world as God plans for it to. Let's pray. Thank you. 